Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest in best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, founder and executive director of Questionmark, the industry leader in assessment management software. Today, I'm really pleased to welcome Liberty Munson, PhD, who's the senior psychometrician for Microsoft's Worldwide Learning Team's technical certification assessment and curriculum programs. She's responsible for ensuring that psychometric standards are rigorously applied during all phases of the assessment and exam lifecycle, and that the design and implementation of these programs results in valid and reliable assessments of candidate skills. Prior to joining Microsoft, Liberty worked at Boeing, where she's developed a wide variety of selection tests, including multiple choice exams, team-based exercises, problem-solving activities, and structured interviews. Uh, Liberty has also assisted with the development analysis of Boeing's internal certification exams. She received her Bachelor of Science in Psychology from Iowa State University and her MA and PhD in Industrial and Organizational Psychology with minors in Quantitative Psychology and Human Resource Management from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Welcome, Liberty. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm super excited that I'm considered an illuminary in the field. Awesome. Liberty, I think you're one of the sharpest uh, people in assessment that I've I've, I've ever met, so uh, I'm really pleased that you've joined us today. Why don't you start off by telling us how you first got into assessment? So uh, my interest in psychology has probably lasted most of my life. I remember in high school that I knew for sure that I wanted to be a psychologist, uh, but as I went to college, I had to take an intro course that provided a high-level overview of all the different disciplines in psychology, and I had no idea that it was more than just talking to people and doing more of the clinical counseling psychology that I think people typically uh, think of when they think of psychologists. And I remember the day the person came in to talk about industrial organizational psychology, and he said, if you want to make money in psychology, this is the field you need to be in. And I thought, I like psychology and I like to make money. So maybe IO psychology is the way to go. So I did that um, and I started heading down that path. And then I, I had a few jobs while I was in college that made me wonder why people stayed in jobs that I couldn't imagine myself working in for my entire life. And I got very interested in this idea of why people stay in these kinds of jobs and what drives job satisfaction and, and kind of why make people make career choices that they make. And so I actually did my dissertation on the whole concept of what are the um, antecedents of job performance and whether people stay or leave jobs and what drives job satisfaction and what's the difference between job satisfaction and engagement. Um, and so I learned a lot about uh, this whole field and this relationship and the interplay between engagement, satisfaction, and whether people choose to stay in jobs and how long they stay in jobs. And what I really learned is that people who find careers actually do it and stay in jobs because they see that the work that they do, even if it's on a very small scale, makes a difference in some way. And so people will take jobs because they need money or it's that's the place where they're at in their life, but where they see the most satisfaction, where they get the where they tend to stay the longest is 
when they have jobs that really seem to matter to them because they feel like they're making a difference. So that's kind of how I ended up getting into psychology and the world of testing because I fell in love with IO psychology. I started uh, an internship at GTE um, where I really got into selection testing. And so that really drove my passion further around assessments. Um, right after graduate school, as you alluded to in my intro, I worked at Boeing and their selection group. What do you do at Boeing? Tell us a bit about the kinds of tests you developed there or the other things you did. Some of the cool stuff that I did at Boeing is uh, we introduced, uh, I really introduced them to structured interviews. Before that, they were really doing kind of informal interviews. So I created a whole structured interview program for them, including training interviewers um, and then how to use the scoring guidelines and the structured nature of the scoring um, to you know help identify the what was good in a response, what was bad in a response, and what was excellent in a response. So what specific behaviors and characteristics about how people were answering interview questions um, would help the raters provide a more objective evaluation of the rating. And then uh, one of the, some of the really cool stuff I started doing after a while is we launched an initiative that was called Hire for Attitude, where we, we really focused that structured interview process around some of the softer skills that Boeing was really struggling to hire and hire effectively. And then I started doing some work on some more uh, non-traditional types of assessments, like team-based assessments. I created this really cool team problem-solving activity where at the time, Boeing had four major divisions. And what we did is we came up with problem statements for each of those four major divisions, and we put people in teams. And we had them work together to pick, first pick which problem they wanted to address and then second, come up with a solution for that problem. And then we created uh, scoring algorithms and rubrics for people who would watch the teams interact to evaluate the team performance and then the individual performance within that team. And I always thought that was just a super cool way to assess team performance. And that, I think, was probably where I started thinking a little bit differently about how uh, we might approach assessments beyond multiple choice questions. So those were, I think, the coolest things that I did while I was at Boeing. Well, and I suspect there's still quite a lot of mileage in doing more t team assessments. Uh, but tell us a bit about why did you move from Boeing to Microsoft? What did you do at the beginning of, of your time at Microsoft? So uh, I worked at Boeing uh, for almost seven years. In the first four years, I did selection. And I, I really enjoyed that. And then surprising no one. Boeing went through an organization, a reorganization where they combined the selection team with the employee survey team. And so I got to do a bit of both of them. And I, I, I kind of like the variety. And then, of course, there was another reorg that set uh -huh. the uh, organization up and they separated those two teams again. And they asked, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay with the selection stuff or do you want to go and work on the uh, employee survey and I thought, you know, it, it's probably good to expand my skills and explore other areas. So I've been doing selection. Let's go check out this world of employee surveys. So I did that for a while um, and I had an aha moment. Uh, I actually love exams, tests, assessments. I don't really love to take them, but I love the beauty of them more so than I like employee surveys. So at the time I had this realization, Microsoft was looking for someone to lead their psychometric elements of their technical certification program. And I thought, you know, it's not selection test, but a test is a test. And there's probably something I can learn in the field of uh, certification. So let's go 
let's go check this out. So I came to Microsoft and at the time, uh, they were trying to get some of their certifications ANSI accredited under 17024. And so I really had to jump into the world of certification and understand how we were designing and developing and maintaining and then evaluating the performance of uh, certification exams. And really, I had to reacquaint myself with some of the fundamental principles of assessment development um, and, you know, psychometrics that I had been away from for a while. So there was a, a big learning curve, but it was super fun to jump back in to the world of assessment and exams in a way that I hadn't done in a very long time, probably in some respects since graduate school. So, so Microsoft must be one of the biggest provider of certification exams out there. What, what value does it get from it? Why does Microsoft do certifications? Uh, the primary reason Microsoft does certifications is to ensure that people have the right skills and abilities to use our technologies in the most efficient and effective ways in their organizations. So, uh, you know, if people are certified, that means that they have the skills and abilities. And if organizations are using our technologies um, from a candidate perspective, if they know that the person can use the technology that they're using in their organization, they're more likely to hire those kinds of candidates. But the idea is, is that if somebody knows the nuances of the Microsoft technologies, they can be more, they can come up with more elegant solutions, more solutions that are, uh, they can come up with more rapid solutions, um, and maybe even innovate in ways that somebody else who doesn't have that certification would be able to. So do you think there's evidence that certified candidates are better at their job, more productive, more efficient in some way? Uh, yes. So we do, there's two different pieces of evidence that we have. We do a survey of all of our candidates. And so, yes, of course, there's a little bit of bias in this because they have our certifications, right? But they do say that they are more likely because of Microsoft certifications to have a seat at the table to come up with better solutions. And uh, they and they also say that those solutions tend to be, uh, they tend to come to them more rapidly. We also ask hiring managers uh, to compare their certified employees versus their non-certified employees. And we see a, a difference in that they say that people who have their certifications have all of these business outcomes at higher levels and drive better business performance uh, than their non-certified employees. And then just recently, Microsoft has started looking at Azure consumption related to organizations that have more certified employees versus organizations that don't. And we are seeing evidence that certified organizations with more certified employees are actually driving Microsoft business. So um, they're using Azure more and they're using Azure in creative ways and they're using Azure to solve more problems. Um, and so that is helping, of course, not only their business be successful, but as a result, Microsoft be successful. Obviously, other companies have different kinds of certification programs, but how generalizable do you think that is? I mean, do you think that most IT companies who have certification programs get similar benefits? My opinion is that, yes, that certification, just by design, the process of committing yourself to be certified, this is not something someone does today and says, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to go sit an exam. All IT certifications tend to require some preparation. And I would argue Microsoft is probably um, maybe even more technical than many certifications. But in general, when you think about IT certs, 
at the more associate and expert level, this is not something someone says, I'm going to go do this tomorrow. It requires this level of preparation and this commitment. And as a result, the person is learning something and they're gaining a true skill that can only make them better in the roles that they're pursuing um, and in relationship to that certification. That makes sense. And are, are most of the exams sort of multiple choice or other kind of simple scoring or are they mostly performance testing or a bit of a mixture of the two? So I'm super excited about this because Microsoft has really led the way when it comes to different item types. So I've been, uh, I didn't mention this, um, but I've been at Microsoft for about 14 years. And throughout that time, we have really pressed the boundaries of what certification exams look like on a global scale. So there are smaller programs that have done some of this stuff, but they have the luxury of being um, more geo-located or requiring people to come to specific locations to deliver some of these more complex uh, types of certifications. What Microsoft has done that's been different is that we've been able to move beyond multiple choice questions to more interactive item types, including performance tests, and deliver them on a global scale, and to do it successfully. So our certification exams have some multiple choice questions because as any psychometrician who's listening to this knows, knows that that's still one of the best ways to measure skills and abilities. But we also have more interactive items that allow the candidate to get closer to what the experience is like on the job from things like active screens and hot areas and build lists where you have to put steps that you might use to solve a problem in the right order to this this idea of labs where we actually connect the candidate to Azure or to Microsoft 365 or Dynamics 365, and they complete tasks in the actual software or platform that they would be using on the job. And then we're able to objectively score it. So there's no humans involved in evaluating if somebody did something right. We can objectively score it by running scripts on what they did um, as soon as they leave the lab um, and then add that to their score that includes um, answers to other those other item types. That sounds very interesting and powerful. And what happened with COVID? So did you just carry on as normal there? Were there any disruption or any things you had to change? So there was a there was a lot of disruption. Um, we did, I think, a lot of the same things that many certification programs um, did for their candidates. We extended recertification timelines. People who had vouchers um, that for free exams or discounted exams, we extended those. We extended some of our beta exam periods, which because we thought we might have uh, fewer people taking them because we moved, as probably most certification programs did, to more online testing. What we found was is that beta exams, we didn't actually see a decline in the interest in our beta program like we had thought might happen. We actually saw an increase. And I'm, I'm I don't know exactly how to explain it, but it was interesting that we were expecting more people would struggle taking our exams from home. We saw a dip at, in March, like I think most programs did, as more and more programs moved to online testing. With Microsoft, the beauty for us is our dip was probably smaller than many because we led the way when it came to online proctored exams, and we already had a really great infrastructure in place. Where I think the dip came from was more the scale, right? Before COVID, uh, we had 
a smaller percentage of people taking exams online than we thought we would. And so we had to have our Pearson View, who is our exam delivery provider, scale up their online proctor delivery as fast as they could. Um, and they, I think they did a phenomenal job of keeping exams available and seats open during a point when lots and lots of people were moving to online proctored tests. But with, after that dip, we kind of saw exam volumes go back up to where we, not quite the, what we would have expected in a normal year, but um, in those same, kind of within the same range. So it, it was interesting to see that happen, that at least for Microsoft, the demand for our certification exams is still there and people are still interested in taking exams even in a time like this, which I don't know if, if it was me, I'm not sure I would be the one saying I want to go set an exam today. No, I think we've seen that in other and other parts of the industry and things that people want to do learning and want to do and show their accomplishment of it. So I think people have had time to, to do it. In terms of the move to online proctoring or test centers, do you think you'll go back to test centers when or if COVID is over? I think we're going to rely more and more on online proctors um, when we move past COVID. I think that there was a hesitation to move to online proctored from many of our candidates because they were worried about having a disruption-free environment. They were worried about having, um, uh, you know, good internet connections or what happens if something fails during the exam. Some of these concerns that we were seeing as reasons why people didn't weren't interested in doing online proctoring. Now that they've kind of been forced to, for lack of a better word. They see that some of their concerns may not have been not have been as um, may not have panned out the way that they thought they might. Maybe it wasn't as bad as they expected it to be, and they learned something. And I, I suspect most people are finding that online proctoring um, is not as uh, concerning as they maybe thought it was, and that it is super convenient and easy um, it, for for most of them. So I suspect that we will see a higher percentage of people. Uh, moving into the online proctored space and fewer people will go to test centers. I will say that Microsoft is trying to drive a digital first experience, uh, which means that we are going to try to rely more and more on online proctored deliveries versus test center deliveries because we really want to create that digital experience because we are Microsoft, right? That's the whole reason we went to online proctoring in the first place is we're in the cloud, so our, our test takers should be in the cloud with us. So do you think there's an equity issue either for or against? So I guess there might be an equity issue that people are a long way away from test centers, can't get there. But also, and probably most of your candidates will have good internet access because they're in the IT field. But is there a sort of challenge there at all in either direction? This is a really good question and something I've been starting to wonder about. And uh, and this has to do with when we think about the standardization and the importance of standardization in test delivery, I think that is actually one of the reasons why testing programs themselves have been resistant to go to online proctor deliveries because we have really, really built up this cult of standardization, standardization. That's how we make sure everything is fair. I think standardization is important, so don't get me wrong, but I'm starting to rethink how we consider what it means to be psychometrically fair. If I, if, and a lot of this has to do with the environment someone is being forced to take exams in, in their home environment. And it goes back to that disruption-free, quiet, clean space at home if I have to take an exam there, because not everybody has that. 
So right now, our reliance, perhaps over-reliance on standardization is making it incredibly difficult for people who, who have the bandwidth, who could be taking exams at home, to take exams at home because they can't find that space that meets our overly strict requirements for standardization, that clean space, the disruption-free space. Uh, people can't at home, I could shut my door and tell my kids not to come in my room, but if you have a little kid, they're not paying attention to you. They're going to walk in. And in most cases, that's the end of your exam. And, and so is that fair? Are we creating an equity issue for access because of our over-reliance on the standardization of the delivery experience itself? I, I think it, at times like this with COVID, it forces us to reconsider what equity means and what fairness means. And from a psychometric perspective, is it access? Is it the ability to take the exam, even if it isn't quite the same experience as somebody else? Yeah, I think there seems to be a general mood in the community that there needs to be a little bit more tolerance on on things like that. And also, obviously, with people maybe living in one room apartments or, or other things that you've got to find some some way of dealing with that. So I think that that, make, that makes sense. So thinking about other organizations that wanting to get into certification, what would you say would be the success factors, the things that they should think about doing? What would be what would be problems perhaps to avoid? So if you are thinking about getting into certification, I would say it the the way to think about a certification, if you are an organization like Microsoft, it's how the purpose of your certification is really to drive adoption of your technology or your solution or your product. So what is the need there? How do you position it uh, so that you can create interest in that certification? And what we did some research several years ago, and what we're finding is that the concept of job role certifications is the direction that people seem to be thinking about when it comes to certs. Um, is this idea is how does the, the certification align to a job role that I'm seeking? How does it help me either find a job or be better in my job? And so one way to think about certification would be to think about how it is can be positioned in relationship to a job that would use the solution that you're trying to create this certification for. So more focus your certification on a job role than on a particular task, say in your software or platform, but but think about what a job role is going to do and which might wrap up into lots of different IT tasks. Yeah, you know, it's so that's a perfect segue because I was going to say, um, so saying that, I actually think that this is an area that we as a certification industry may want to reconsider more broadly. And this idea of how you uh, create your own certification. And so uh, this means that if I, we have to maybe not be so prescriptive about the job role because the challenge we have when we think about job roles is we start to think all job roles, Azure architects are all doing the same thing. And, and we know they're not, but by my certification saying it requires these six core skills, I kind of am saying that all Azure admins are doing the same thing. But we know that's not true. So how do we build an Azure admin job role that is kind of create your own adventure style? Do you, get, do you remember that from when you were a kid? And you, yeah, 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 yeah. So how do you think about a job role certification that I can quote unquote customize that actually maps to the skills I use in my 
job every day. Oh, that sounds interesting. And you, you mentioned earlier that multiple choice questions were psychometrically very sound. I think some people who are not psychometricians tend to think that multiple choice questions are perhaps weak in some sense. Can you just explain why multiple choice questions are effective in measuring even if people guess? So uh, the multiple choice questions work really well uh, when they're written well. And what I think most people have uh, have had experiences with multiple choice questions were written, written probably not well. I, I'm going to say this, but your college tests and your and your high school tests probably not the most psychometrically sound evaluations you've ever been through. Um, uh, but if they're well designed and they follow the basic principles of uh, good item writing, you can write really great psychometrically sound uh, multiple choice questions. And the reason is, is because you are removing a lot of the test taking strategies that people have learned as they've grown up and uh, that increase the probability that someone will guess correctly. In fact, uh, what research is showing around multiple choice questions is the the typical four is not, um, you don't need to have four answer choices. You can get away with three and still have really great questions. And the reason is, is because it's very hard to write good distractors. And almost always one of the distractors is not well-written and anybody can is going to eliminate it. But, and, and then the argument is, well, now I have a 33% chance of guessing correctly. That's actually not true um, because that assumes that somebody doesn't have any knowledge, right? They come in and that's just totally random. There's some level of knowledge that people who are sitting your exam have. And if they can automatically get rid of one of the answer choices anyway, that's not, inc- that, that's not a good use of your item writer's time. So we forget that it's not totally random on how people are selecting answers, that they do have some knowledge um, and that each answer choice is not going to be equally selected at any time anyway. Uh, But if you write them well, you remove the test taking strategies that people are saying, I think that fundamentally underlie that argument that multiple choice questions are easily guessable. And then if you have, and from a certification perspective, if you have good robust item pools. And even using some of the, there's some really cool strategies around how you deliver uh, multiple choice questions so that they are kind of different every time, or there are different variations of it that appear often enough that someone who may have access to a brain dump, I hate to say it, um, would not have a necessary advantage because the version of the item that they see is not actually the one that they saw somewhere else. So basically, you just sort of have a, a variation a policy whereby you can vary items a bit or else random selection from a reasonably large item bank, that kind of thing. Yep. And when you give instructions to your item writers about writing out multiple choice questions, because I think a lot of people out there are writing multiple choice questions. I mean, it's probably quite a big, big subject, but are there sort of any sort of immediate tips you'd get for people to improve their multiple choice questions? Okay. There, there, there's two really big ones that come to mind immediately is don't make the correct answer the longest one answer. That is yeah. the biggest mistake I see. I tell people who are taking any exam, if you see an answer choice that is substantially longer than the other answer choices, don't even read the question. That's the right answer. (laughs) And then the other one is the correct answer is the only one that's grammatically correct with the the question stem. 
that one happens a lot uh, because people pay so much attention to making sure that the correct answer grammatically matches the question. If you're reading an answer choice and it just doesn't sound right, it's probably not right. Uh, so that being grammatically correct and kind of parallel in structure, and, and I guess that's the third one, parallel in structure when it comes to the answer choices, is that if something is systematically different from everything else, and that's probably the correct answer. Um, so to listeners, whether you realize it or not, those are test-taking strategies that you've grown up with because you've learned it from bad tests and uh, high-quality certification exams. Know that you know those test-taking strategies and are writing without, you know, taking the understanding that those are the strategies and writing against them. That's really helpful and a very good advice. So looking into the future, what do you think the future of testing or certification looks like? The same or different? Very different. I hope um, my goal when I die is somebody, um, it says, Liberty Change Certification. <laughs> I'm hoping <laughs> that it really happens. Uh, but I think uh, technology is advancing so quickly. The fact that we're still making people go to test centers to sit exams uh, is something that we should be rethinking just completely. Now, I know that there are a lot of challenges with this idea I'm going to suggest, but I throw it out there because I think if we start thinking about how we could do it, we move the industry forward, even if we can't get to quite this vision. If we're thinking about certifications and job roles and someone is doing the job that we want to create a certification for, we need to figure out how we are assessing and certifying them in work, in role, right? So there must be a way that we could leverage technology to make sure that people are actually doing the job or getting certified without requiring them to go sit an exam. So uh, the way you might imagine this would be, and I do have some luxury because I work at Microsoft and so everything is being done on computers and within technology. So there is some, I do have some luxury to think about it in this way, but I would argue, but most jobs today are somehow tied to technology. That's how embedded it's gotten into our everyday life, that some variation of this could probably work in other places. But imagine if I'm an Azure architect and there's these five core skills that I have to demonstrate to say that I'm certified, to say that I'm qualified and I'm doing them every day, there must be a way for me to for me to say, to prove to the certification organization that I've done them. And maybe that means I install a bot on my computer and the bot is just is only looking to see if I have done these specific activities. Now, it couldn't just be one and done, right? It would have to, because what if I did it and I did it, I kind of just stumbled upon it and it was by mistake and I did it right. So there's got to be some conversation about how often have I done it um, to demonstrate competency and is there some level of elegance I will have to have done it and is there some efficiency that I would have to use or something like that. So there's a, a whole host of new ways to think about measurement and psychometrics that come with this idea that we also have to address. But uh, thinking about how we assess people in work uh, to certify, I think, is where we need to head as an industry. Clearly, that means that there are some people who are not doing the job, right? So they wouldn't have this ability to do in-work assessments. So there's probably always going to be a place for the more quote-unquote traditional forms 
of assessment for those people who are new to role or not in the role, but want to get in the role. But for people who want to be certified that are doing the job every day, we need to do it differently. That makes a lot of sense of assessment as you go, as well as assessment at at particular points. So clearly you're making a difference and uh, trying to make more of a difference out there. Could you just, as a final question, just expand a little bit about why people do stay in their jobs? It's essentially to to make a difference in whatever area they're in? Uh, Yeah, it it is to make a difference. That is the big reason why people stay in their jobs. There, There are environmental circumstances that put Uh, people in jobs they may not like or may not want to stay in, but do it because they have to meet some particular need. So that does happen in some cases. But when you look at people who stay in roles uh, and they're really satisfied with them. So I think back to, like I said, in college, I had some less than great jobs. And one of them was I worked at at McDonald's. And, you know, for a college kid, that's fine, right? Um, But it wasn't a great job. And I wasn't Um, something I was going to do forever. It paid the bills. But there was the manager who had been at that McDonald's for more than 20 years. And I was just fascinated by that. Why? 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 Um, And so that got me super excited about what kept people in jobs and this whole notion of satisfaction and engagement. And what I saw is that if you're making a difference in your role or you think your organization is making a difference. That's when you stay. That's when you're happy. That's where you build a career. I was thinking about this a little bit and I wish I had gone back and asked that manager in what ways um, being a manager at McDonald's was making a difference, but it had that, that has to be why he was there is that in some small way, he felt he was doing something that mattered. Thank you. That's really great. And I think something for us all to think about how we can make a difference or help our other employees make a difference in our organization. Thank you so much, Liberty, for joining us today. And thank you, everybody, for for listening to the podcast. Uh, Please reach out to me directly at johnatquestionmark.com with any questions, comments, or if you'd like to keep the conversation going. You can also visit the Question Mark website at questionmark.com to register for any of our many best practice webinars we host. Uh, And of course, uh, Microsoft certification is all uh, available on the web and you can see lots of information there.